What's going on, everyone? Welcome to episode 135 of the Game Explain Real Talk podcast. I'm your host, Ash Paulson, and today I'm joined by John Cartwright, and, well, that's it. No Derek this week, no Andre this week, and no Tom this week, because they're all hard at work on their various own projects, and that just leaves the two of us to uh, do the podcast this week. So, how you doing, John? I am very tired, Ash. <laughs> We've had a, such a busy week, man. We've had... Um... There's been a lot of news, especially Pokemon, and you and I have just been hard at work editing the audio for all these analysis <laughs> oh, uh, man. going on. <laughs> yeah, well, uh, you and Derek especially, because you, you and Derek took on the lion's share of, like, the first, you know, what, 60% or so of Andre's crazy long Mario Maker 2 analysis, and then I kind of did the last part, and it's just been so much work, and uh, we're not saying exactly how long it actually is, because we want to, you know, keep that hype going, but... I think you guys are going to be happy. If, if you're looking forward to Super Mario Maker 2, I think you guys are going to be really happy with what uh, Andre's got cooking up. Mm-hmm. Yep, yep, yep. And there's been so much news lately, too. Um, we just came off that direct, and we're, we're nearly done covering that. But we had, uh, I think, was it three analysis uh, from that? And then we have <laughs> you know two from Pokemon, uh, one, from, well, yeah, one from Mario Maker still. But Pokemon has just been so busy this week. Like this, the franchise this year is going to have a great year because we got like, not only a new generation, but there's two movies. There's all this merchandise. Um, they're of course going to be merchandising off Gen Eight. So there's just so much Pokemon stuff to cover, and it feels like we can't even breathe with <laughs> with how much they're uh, announcing at the moment. It's crazy, especially Derek, because that's actually what he's doing right now. He's working on one of the analyses for Pokemon Sword and Shield. And yeah, there's just been so much to cover lately, and who knows when more news is going to drop. Like, Nintendo seems to really, you know, they'll go through periods of relative quietude, and then when the floodgates open, though, they really open. Yeah. I've been saying for a while now that my next uh, Under the Super Scope episode will be on 3D Sonic games, but um, (laughs) I've I've hardly been able to do any work on that, just because there's been so much um, else going on. And even when I'm not working on my own projects, we've been like helping out behind the scenes with all these other projects. Right. So that's still coming, but I just haven't had time to do it. No, I hear you. I almost have to wonder, should you even have make that episode be just on Sonic 2006? Because I could, I feel like that could almost make an incredible episode just by itself. Uh-huh. I did think about like splitting them up into parts and just sort of doing like the Dreamcast era. Oh, okay. Onto the Boost era. But um, I think the best way to tackle it is just to like compare them all. Cool. Like uh, in one big episode. Nice, nice. I, th- I feel like it'd be fun to compare Sonic 2006 to Superman 64 and really decide once and for all which is the worst game of all time. Uh huh. <laughs> I mean, to be fair, Sonic 06 isn't like it isn't the worst game of all time. Like it's it's bad. That's but fair. It's not it's not unsalvageable. It is the only game of all time though that has a hedgehog, you know, and a human princess kissing, and that has to count for oh, yeah, something. Yeah. <laughs> Oh, of course. Yeah. <laughs> Definitely dock some points for that. Oh, man. I still remember the first time I saw that. And I was with my best friend at the time. And we were just, we're both huge Sonic fans. And we were both, our jaws hit the floor. And we were just looked at each other. And we were like, who at Sega thought this was, like, cool? Like, why, mm-hmm. how many people at Sega had to approve this before it made made it to release? Yeah, there was, like, a boardroom uh, full of, like, 20 people, and they're all just like, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, this, this, this is, is what we want. This is exactly what fans <laughs> want from Sonic. Totally. <laughs> oh, man. Well, what have you been playing this week? Oh, uh, what have I been playing? I've been playing a little bit of Tetris 99 still. Nice. Um, but I, not as much as last week, though. I've kind of gone off of that a little bit. Okay. Um, but I have dived back into Breath of the Wild again. Oh. And uh, it's dawned on me. The Switch is nearly two years old. 
I think it's two days' time, it's going to be two years old. So we've been like chipping away at Breath of the Wild for two years now, and I am so close to 100%ing it. I am one Korok seed away, my compendium is nearly complete, I, I, I've nearly finished this after two years. That's fantastic. I, I did everything I wanted to do in that game, which was basically all 120 shrines. I just decided pretty much early on that I didn't have any interest in getting all the Korok seeds. I just, I don't know, I, I, I still love the game, but I just didn't feel like I could spend that much time after the 160 or so hours collectively that I spent doing the main game, all the shrines, and then both DLCs. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I wasn't going after the Korok seeds to begin with, but when um, when the, one of the DLC packs gave us the Korok mask, uh, all of a sudden I was just hunting those things down. And um, I've not like been like dedicatedly like, seeking them out, but um, I've just been wandering around this world for two years, and every now and then I'll just the, the mask will shake and you pick up a seed. So it's just kind of like an incentive to just keep exploring rather than necessarily yeah. trying to find all the seeds. But yeah, it just it, so it works both ways. Yeah, you know, maybe I should maybe I should give that a shot. Not to necessarily get all of them, because, but it would be nice to revisit Breath of the Wild and just kind of poke around in that world again. Because even though I'm not a big open-world game fan, Breath of the Wild did a lot of things right that I feel a lot of other open-world games don't. And it just, that world captivated me. And I had so much fun at the beginning of the game just going around to all the towers. And just, like, I, I ignored the story. I didn't even go to Kakariko Village, or what was it, Hata- Hateno Village, until I had activated all the towers. And it was nice. just a lot of fun just exploring the world and kind of getting my bearings before moving on to the story. Uh-huh. I'm totally with you as well, because I'm not a big open-world fan either. Um, and I think the, the big difference is most open-worlds are um, they're basically giant levels with waypoints. <laughs> and, right. Uh, the way they work most of the time is that you watch a cutscene, there's a waypoint, you go to the waypoint, you do something, you go to another waypoint, and rinse and repeat. Right. What Breath of the Wild does, though, is it has one waypoint. Well, it has, has a few, but has has one waypoint, and it's basically kill Ganon. And you <laughs> yeah. get that at the start of the game, and that's that's all the guidance you really get. So um, everything else is just sort of up to you, and it really it, it really like uh, makes the most of being an open world game in the way that most open world games don't. Right, right. And uh, speaking of Ganon, I kind of wish they had implemented some sort of mechanic to counteract the the fact that the more uh, the more of the divine beasts you defeat, the easier he becomes. Because I kind of f- wish that he had become more powerful the longer you take to beat the game. Up to a certain point, of course. Not, like, infinitely more powerful, but up to a certain cap. But I just feel like it would make... It would have made Calamity Ganon just feel more threatening as an, as an omnipresent evil force. Because otherwise, you know, you're, you're poking around in Kakariko or Hateno or any of the other villages, and everyone's pretty much p- at peace. And they're just like, yeah, we're just living our daily lives, and... We don't really care about Hyrule Castle or Ganon. He's just kind of doing his own thing. And I just feel like it would be cool if, if you had taken so much time to beat the game that, hey, Calamity Ganon had more time to kind of grow in power. Yeah, you know, I, I thought this about, like, other open-world games as well. Like, um, when you do side quests in open-world games and, like, you accept that you, you say to someone, oh, I'll, I'll go and find your dog, and then you, like, wait, like, months to do that. Like, they, they never question you. They say, oh, like, thanks. Like, it'd be cool if just a, an NPC would say, like, what took you so long? It's been a month since I asked you to find my dog. But like, there's never any consequences for how long you take to do something in open-world games. So, yeah, that, that would have been quite cool. But at the same time, maybe it would have made the game, like, too stressful for some people. Yeah, it had, had kind of that Majora's Mask timely element that some people may not want. So I, I totally get that. I know something I suggested back in a Breath of the Wild discussion, probably last year or something, Andre really loved the idea, and that was the idea of a hunger meter. So you couldn't just pause any time and have, you know, Link eat 25 apples to re- restore his health. You know, you would, you would, you know, I would say each food item would have a different, like, 
you know, a, a amount of, you know, different amount of like hunger meter that it would fill. And then you have like a cooldown period where Link is full and can't keep eating to recover his health. Hmm. Yeah, I would like that actually, and that that, was, that would kind of like, incentivize you to do more cooking as well. Exactly. Because there were points in Breath of the Wild where my health was low, so I'd just munch on a bunch of apples or whatever, um, rather than like properly cooking. So that would have been a great way to like do that. Uh, yeah, but yeah, Bre- Breath of the Wild is still a really good game, though. Um, I, I I don't know where it lies in my my like my favorite games, but it's definitely up there on the list. Mine too. I think I've I've recently concluded that it that sits kind of pretty at, at number five in my top five like it just makes my top five uh but of course you know the wind waker is still my favorite and then there's games like a link to the past and Link's awakening that i don't know will ever be surpassed because they're just that good mm-hmm. that's the best part about the zelda series is basically every game is like arguably the best game of all time <laughs> yeah yeah. Oh, yeah, there's no there's no real answer for which one's actually the best, because they're, they're all great for different reasons. Yeah, no, I often say that even though A Link to the Past isn't necessarily my favorite game of all time, it's obviously up there, but it's not necessarily my favorite, it may just be the most technically flawless game of all time that I've ever played. Uh-huh. Yeah, and that's impressive, too, because most open world games are just so buggy. Yeah. And um, in my, like, 200-plus hours of Breath of the Wild, I don't think I've really experienced a bug. God, you know what? I I think back, and I don't. Yeah, I don't think I have either, which is crazy when you think about it. Especially when you consider that there are bugs that speedrunners have been exploiting to, you know, beat the game in crazy quick times. But for the general player, a game that size with so many moving parts, it's incredibly impressive that there. Yeah, we don't really encounter many bugs, if any. Apart from like the insects. <laughs> right. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> But, uh, well, in terms of what I've been playing, uh, I haven't been playing much, unfortunately. Because of all the work we've been doing on the analyses and stuff, I really haven't had time to play Kingdom Hearts 3 in the past week or so, which breaks my heart because I'm, I'm past all the Disney worlds now, which means I'm at the, the end point or I'm going into the end where all the big, juicy story reveals really happen. And I've gotten a couple of those. I've started going into the end, and I think I mentioned on last week's podcast, without spoiling things, the stuff with Aqua blew my mind. And mm. so I have to get back to it. I, th- I probably don't have that much more left to go. And uh, this weekend is looking pretty good for free gaming time, so I think I'm going to try to try to finish it out. And uh, because, you know, it's already been out long enough, and the longer I, I take, the, the more more likely it is that I'm going to get spoiled. So, mm-hmm. and I, I've made it this far, so I would be really, really heartbroken if I did get spoiled, especially because that uh, that multi Mega Man death battle just came out yesterday. I'm a big fan of Screw Attack and the death battle series in general, and they're do they just did one between Mega Man X, Mega Man Volnut, Mega Man .exe, and Star Force Mega Man. So it's like you know my fanboy dream come true. It's literally been out for like less than probably 48 hours at this point. And and actually, by the time that I got spoiled on it in Twitter, it had been out for barely a day. But several people tagged me with the results of the match. And I'm like, come on, internet culture. It's been out for a day and I didn't have time to watch it. And already I'm being spoiled on it. So that kind of sucked. Oh, geez. Yeah. You know, though, I, I haven't really seen any spoilers for Kingdom Hearts. I mean, I'm, I'm obviously not that invested in the series. But, right. Um, just browsing Twitter, people have been pretty respectful about spoilers. They really have. It's mainly YouTube that's the uh, that's the you know the minefield because you know how people love or some channels love to put spoilers right in their thumbnails. So you might be looking oh, for yeah. Kingdom Hearts 3's intro cutscene or whatever just to watch it again, but then right on that sidebar it'll be Kingdom Hearts 3 secret ending plus final boss, and it has like some crazy spoiler in the thumb. And fortunately, though, I've been able to avoid all those. So, yeah. Uh-huh. It sucked during Mario Odyssey. Um, there were so many videos, because I think uh, the game got leaked and people were playing it early. 
Um, but there were so many videos where, with thumbnails had the final boss in the thumb. And that's such an awesome moment in that game, but people were just spoiling it for everyone. And um, they kept getting suggested too, for me. Um, and I think that's because I, like, I was watching a lot of Mario Odyssey videos and YouTube just thought like, oh, he wants to see these. But right. yeah, it just it just ruins things though. It really does. I think, I don't know if I've told this story in the podcast before, but the worst spoiler I've ever probably been like exposed to and, and, and this person knew exactly what they were doing, but it was when I was playing Bioshock Infinite and I really enjoyed that game, loved the story. And, uh, you know, for those of you who might actually play it still or are in the midst of playing it, skip like 30 seconds so you don't get the spoiler. <laughs> but some guy on Twitter like saw that I was playing Bioshock Infinite and have you played it, John? I have. Yeah. Okay, so you know that. So this guy DMs me and with, with three words, Booker is Comstock. And I'm like, what? why would you do that? that oh. That's like the twist. And it, he just completely ruined it with three little words. Or Yeah, and I'm like, why would you do that to somebody? Uh, people. <laughs> right? People are, just, are just the worst. <laughs> yeah, so anyway, well, uh, Bioshock Infinite, spoiler territory over, so you're, you're safe to come back and listen if you're in the midst of playing the game. But yeah, I don't know who would even do that, but... Uh, Otherwise, I, yeah, I have played a little Tetris 99 this week. I'm still not very good at it, although I will say it's pretty funny. Um, I was I played with my wife, and I was we were both quite drunk at the time. And I played my <laughs> best my best game of Tetris 99 while I was fairly inebriated, and I got 12th place. I've never been nice. able to replicate that sober. So I don't know what it is about you know getting a little drunk and playing Tetris 99 that actually makes me better, but I'll take it. I mean that's our, that's gonna be our new um, tips and tricks video. Exactly, just have <laughs> a few be beers and yeah, just get drunk. Exactly. <laughs> so what else? I think. Oh, I've also still uh, still been chipping away at Monster Boy in the Cursed Kingdom, and I just continue oh, to nice. love that game. It is so good. So I keep recommending it every week, and I'm gonna keep doing it because it's great. Um, but other than that, that's pretty much all I've been playing. I just haven't really had a whole lot of time. Um, my wife and I tried to go see either How to Train Your Dragon, The Hidden World, or Alita Battle Angel, or Battle Angel Alita, excuse me. Uh, but again, with all the work you've been doing, we just had to cancel those plans, and we haven't seen either one. So that's really oh, been my whole week, but I really, really am committed to seeing How to Train Your Dragon in theaters, because that's the kind of... I've seen both of the others in theaters. I love the series, and I would be really sad if I had to watch the last one just just on Blu-ray. Uh-huh. It's, yeah, it's, it's totally worth seeing when you get the chance. Um, but yeah, likewise, I've not really done a whole lot else this week. I um, My fiancé and I started watching The Umbrella Academy on Netflix. Okay. I didn't know what it was to start with. It's something that she saw a trailer for. And it's actually really good. Like, <laughs> it's um, it's it's about like this this superhero family who um, who don't do superhero stuff anymore. All right. So it's like it takes place years after their prime time, and um, they've all sort of fallen apart. And um, it's it's not a superhero series though. It's it's just a drama series really, and that's just kind of the premise behind it. But um, it's there's so many twists, and it just keeps going, and it gets you really invested. And uh, I'm, pr- I'm probably not selling it very well, but like it's it's just it was a great surprise. It's it's nice to have this sort of this uh, this superhero series that doesn't focus that doesn't go too much into the tropes of what they usually do. Um, so it's like think of it like X Men, but without the powers. <laughs> Interesting. Okay, it almost sounds like an yeah. alternate take on on something like The Incredibles. Obviously, there'd be more differences than that. But when you said you know superheroes who are past their prime, that's kind mm-hmm. of what reminded me of The Incredibles. Yeah, yeah, it, that that's a good comparison. Yeah. 
Um, yeah, it's really good. Well, speaking of Netflix, I, that reminded me. My wife and I just finished up uh, watching the uh, the first season of a show. And stay with me here because this is going to sound really bad. But <laughs> we uh, it's called uh, the the Chilling Adventures of Sabrina, and it's like a it's like an M rated remake of Sabrina the Teenage Witch. And I know how lame okay. that sounds, but I swear <laughs> to God, it's fantastic. It's so right. good, and it's like nine episodes long, so it's not a huge commitment. And if you're just into stuff like you know, like the occult and just kind of horror themed shows in general, it's really good. And it's not at all what you think of when you think Sabrina the Teenage Witch. Like that's just doesn't sound you know. When you think of that, you think lighthearted and kind of goofy. That's not what this is. This is super dark, super gory, super crazy. So I recommend it to anyone to whom that that sounds palatable or not like a complete mess. Yeah, I'm into it, man. Like, <laughs> you sold me on it. Yeah, just check out the first episode. It's really, really good. All right. <laughs> so, yeah, so that's what we've been watching. And, uh, you know, but then again, my, my wife and I also occasionally watch shows like 90 Day Fiancé. So take what I say with a grain of salt. But we do like our, our you know, easy come, easy go TV sometimes. Mm-hmm. So yeah, Who doesn't? Yeah, exactly. But uh, with that said, we might as well go ahead and move on to the news topics. And uh, I guess up first, we have something that I know you personally are super, super hyped about, John. And that is the fact that mm-hmm. Resident Evil 4, Resident Evil Remake, and Resident Evil Zero are all coming to the Switch eShop on May 21st, which is awesome. Yeah, then yeah, no bad news there, right? That's that's all that's all we have. Unfortunately, there is there is a <laughs> kind of an asterisk there, and they all cost. I thought it was forty dollars USD, but apparently it's thirty dollars USD. Uh it's forty dollars in uh, in Canada. So okay, they they've converted their prices weird. It's also thirty pounds in the UK. So um, when you convert thirty dollars down to pounds, that's usually like twenty two pounds. So right. So that's why I came to a little bit. Yeah, that's why I came to forty because I was um, converting thirty yeah, it's, pounds. It's uh, it's a bummer because yeah, I, I for for what for what I understand why they're doing it because Resident Evil Four is a landmark game and I don't think people are going to be too put off by the price. I've seen people complain about it, but I think they're still going to sell a lot of copies of Resident Evil Four. Yeah. Um, remaking Zero though. 30 pounds for those? I'm <laughs> not so not so convinced about that. Yeah, and it's just the principle of the matter. Like I agree with you. I think Resident Evil 4 is still going to sell pretty well at that price, but just, you know, if you play on other platforms, you know, if you're only a Nintendo player, then maybe this wouldn't bother you because you wouldn't be wise to, you know, the money you could be saving on other platforms. But when it's cheaper on PlayStation Network and Xbox Live, that just I that drives me crazy. So because essentially you're paying the Switch tax to have the same exact game in a portable, you know, in a portable format if you want it. And yes, that's a huge draw, but that's something that comes with the Switch itself. That's not something that should be added to to a game's price just to put it on Switch. Mm. Yeah, and we've we've talked about like a discussion just on this debate because it could be a big topic, but um, I I agree. Uh, But at at the same time, I think Resident Evil 4 does justify that value. But you are right, it's cheaper elsewhere. Um, but there's we also there's still some unknowns as well. We don't know if they're going to add gyro controls to it. We don't know if they're going to um, do some other enhancements. But at the same time, Okami HD is arguably definitive on Switch. Right. But that game had price parity with other versions. 
So it's weird that Capcom are doing this now with these games. Right, and it's regularly on sale for like eleven ninety nine or some obscene price for that game. So right. yeah, it had it had price parity with other platforms, and so I don't know what's going on with Resident Evil. Maybe they just because Resident Evil is one of their flagship series, maybe they, they, they think they can get away with charging a slight premium for it. And as you said, with RE4, I think they are going to get away with it because it is a landmark title. Not so sure about Resident Evil Zero, and I know Resident Evil Remake is a great game, but I don't know if it's quite on that level of RE4. It's not, yeah. Like, uh, Remake's still a brilliant game, of course, but with 4, um, there's, there's so many reasons to keep playing. Like, you can play through the main game, and it's, it feels infinitely, re- infinitely replayable. Then there's the mercenaries, there's all those add-on modes. You can get hours and hours and hours out of RE4. Yeah. With Remake, though, you, you just sort of play it, and like it's it's brilliant, but there's not really that same incentive to keep playing apart from doing speedruns. Gotcha. Um, and then Zero is... Eh, <laughs> Zero is not, it's not a bad game, but it's also not a great game. Right. Like, there's, uh, we'll, we'll get, when we review it, we'll get into like more uh, in-depth about why it's not great, but... Um, Basically, the classic Resident Evil games have inventory boxes, so you can just sort of store your items and um, manage them whenever you want to. But with Zero, they didn't have those. So you manage your inventory by dropping items and then coming back for them later. So there's Ugh. so much backtracking, because you have to like, keep uh, going back and forth to collect those items that you dropped. Uh, and sometimes you have to like carry them back and forth from different areas. And it's, it's, there's so much busy work in that game. Um, that and it's just, it's just not that well designed, really. So um, $30 for RE0 is a hard no. Yeah. Um, but the other, the other two, I think, there's, you can justify them, but at the same time, yeah, they are, they are cheaper on other platforms. So, yeah, I, I don't know what the, what the real answer is to this, but Capcom clearly think they can get away with it. Right, and, and it will be interesting to see if and when they release you know, sales figures for these, or at least release how they feel about their performance, because Capcom's not very good about releasing specific sales figures. I mean, it took us this long, or about three weeks ago, to find out that they were happy with the performance of Mega Man 11 and the X Legacy Collection. So I don't expect we'll hear about how the RE you know, Switch ports did until like much later this year. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and um, they, they, they have been pretty good with their games up until now, I think. I mean, there's Ultra Street Fighter 2, which is an anomaly, but um, yeah. games like the, the Mega Man Legacy Collections, um, Resident Evil Revelations, what else has there been? There's, yeah, well, of course, Akami HD. They've all been fairly good with their prices. Yeah. Just for some reason with these games, they thought, nope. And um, this isn't even their only game that they've announced. Of course, there's the other news of Ace Attorney Trilogy coming to Switch, right. Xbox One, PS4, and Steam. For the same price as these Resident Evil games. And this is a trilogy. Right. For $30. Yeah, which is, that I would say is a good price, because you're getting three really lengthy games. Like, the, the you know, the Ace Attorney games aren't short at all. They're quite in-depth, and so I, was, I feel like for three really lengthy, you know, involved games, 30 bucks is a good price. Um, but, you know, that, that then again, though... One man's treasure is another man's, or one man's trash is another man's treasure. If you're not into that kind of game, you know, visual novel style games, then 30 bucks is going to look, sound ridiculous to you. Personally, I'm mm. an Ace Attorney fan, so I would say I wish it was a little cheaper, like maybe 25, possibly even 20. But again, they are three full length games. So it's essentially 10 bucks a game, which honestly isn't bad. Also, I think Ace Attorney is one of those franchises where you can charge a, charge a premium and mm-hmm. the fans will just 
buy it. <laughs> That's true, because Ace Attorney has, has had kind of a checkered release history in America. Not so much, uh, or in the West, I should say. Not so much with recent titles, but for a while there, it was taken taken us a while to get uh, the games that came out of Japan, and we never got the uh, the Dai Gyakuten Saiban, the one that was, uh, you know, based, uh, it was the Sherlock Holmes crossover, almost, uh, set in like, I think it was like feudal Japan. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so we never even got that. Yeah. Yeah, but it's interesting stuff with Capcom, because these are brilliant, brilliant games, and I think everything there is worth your time. Yeah. Um, yeah, it's just the justification of the price. And I don't have any issue spending $30 on Resident Evil 4. In fact, when um, after watching your Okami HD review, I didn't know what the price of that game was, <laughs> but I was, I was prepared to spend about that much on it. Nice. And I was pleasantly surprised when it wasn't that much. Um, but, you know, just in my mind, the value of that game... It warranted that kind of price tag. Yeah. So, if, any, if anything, maybe they underpriced Okami. <laughs> I would say they kind of did, but that's probably because it never sold that well on any other platform. And really, I mean, it's uh, that's just criminal, but it does need every sale it can get, and I guess they, they got to mark the price down for that. But, uh, yeah. But I will say, I mean, if if these prices are not uh, tickling your fancy, Capcom does run sales quite often on every platform. So I feel like it won't be too, too long until we see a sale for any or all of the RE titles as well as Ace Attorney Trilogy. Mm. Yeah, I feel like Okami HD is always on sale. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> so, yeah, and as for Ace Attorney, I absolutely recommend it. Like, if you have even a little latent interest in what this series is, dive in because it's so good and i have to say i think the 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 first three games in the series which this trilogy encompasses tells one of the most satisfyingly complete stories i think i've ever experienced in a video game it's just very complete and of course there you know you have ace attorney four through six which kind of begin their own new trilogy but the first three games my wife and i just love them because once you finish the third game you feel satisfied it's not like it just keeps going and going and going and constantly dangling you know cliffhangers in front of your face it's like no Everything was answered. You feel really good about where it ended, and you're. It just feels nice because you don't get that in video games very often. Hmm. Yeah. Nice. But do you know what else had a satisfying ending, Ash? Oh, uh, what's that? <laughs> uh, Super Smash Brothers Melee was dropped from Evo 2019. Oh man, I I know I'm I'm gonna catch so much heat for this, but I am thrilled. Oh, I'm just absolutely thrilled because you know here's the thing I don't hate melee I I really don't like wide swaths of the community because they are so elitist and so just you know you got to play melee and everything else sucks you know I just that mindset drives me crazy but the game itself is great and I understand why people love watching it but man the community has gotten so indignant about melee and and ultimate or four last year both being represented at Evo and it's like no because. No other series on a regular basis gets two games represented at Evo. And honestly, if we're being really honest with ourselves, if one series did, it should be Street Fighter. Because that's, you know, that's what really started it all in terms of the competitive fighting game scene. And even Street Fighter doesn't have more than one game. So it's like, I get it. I know Melee is a much different game from Ultimate and people love watching it. But I don't think Melee even needs Evo. You know, you know Melee is going to continue to be a huge event at every Smash Major that's dedicated to Smash, and I don't know. This allows room for for games like Undernight Inbirth to get a shot at the main nine games, which I think is really cool. And you know, here's the thing: the money isn't in Melee anymore. Like it, it makes sense for Nintendo and Evo to focus on the latest and I think greatest Smash games. So anyway, I'm sure I'm gonna get all sorts of tweets and and hate for even saying all this, but 
I am absolutely thrilled <laughs> that Melee's finally mm. been dropped, and bring it on. I'm ready. I got my flame shield ready. I'm Let's do it. Yeah, I'm, I, I agree with a lot of what you just said there. But I also, I'm just excited to see Ultimate get the spotlight. Me I'm, too. I'm excited to see just uh, new takes on Smash. Because Ultimate has a lot of really interesting mechanics that lend themselves really well to um, high-action play. Like being able to perfect shield and parry and do all this, th these awesome things that you can't really do in Melee. Um, I think it's just going to be really fun to watch. And plus, um, Melee only has like six characters that are viable. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> To have a roster of 70 representatives, just more interesting to watch. Yeah, well, that's, and that's my other thing about Melee. It's like you see the same top players using the same characters, mostly, over and over and over again. And it gets boring. As good as they are, it gets boring. Whereas with a game like Ultimate, one of its biggest strengths is that the, the character diversity is so wide. You get 20 different top players using possibly close to 20 different characters. And that just that's so much more interesting to watch, in my opinion. Mm-hmm. And even like the the joke characters in Ultimate, like Pichu, yeah. even they're good. Yeah, everyone has everyone's good in that game. I'm I'm sure there are you know tier lists and there are like worse characters in that game, but I think everybody in Ultimate is viable competitively. Yeah, exactly. And you know, as salty as I was last Evo that that uh, Melee got the main stage again and Smash Four got relegated to the Saturday finals, you know, last it, it did as much as a, a fan as I was of Smash Four and still am, except you know now that Ultimate's out. You know, it was it did end up getting to a Bayo versus Bayo final, and it wasn't that fun to watch. And so, you know, as much as I'm not a big fan of Melee, I did understand, as upset as I was at the time, why maybe they gave the Sunday final slot to Melee that year because Smash Four really was kind of affected by the whole Bayonetta being so OP problem. Mm hmm. Yeah, and I think that's something they've kind of addressed with Ultimate. Like, Definitely, there isn't really a character that you know, it dominates everyone else in that game. Right, exactly. So, yeah, I go to Evo every year, and I'm going to be going this year, and I will, you know, I'm so excited to watch the ultimate, you know, matches there in person. And, uh, you know, I'm sure there'll be side tournaments going for Melee. And, and again, I don't think this is the end for Melee. It's going to be at every major Smash event. But, you know, with Evo, it's nice to see a, a, the smaller title getting the, getting the nod this year. Mm -hmm. So, uh, yeah, but um, let's see. Well, we have two more news stories here, and they both deal with the same franchise. And you may uh, may have heard that a little thing called Pokemon Generation 8 was announced this week. Uh, of course, Pokemon Sword and Shield. And we've got three new starters being Grookey, Scorebunny, and Sobble. And I don't know about you, but I am firmly on hashtag Team Sobble. <laughs> There's no other choice, man. Like, right? The other starters are fine. But Sobble is a clear winner. Clear winner. And I mean, I like Scorebunny, but it, it almost looks like Scorebunny is going to be yet another firefighting type for its final evolution. We don't know that, of course, but it seems to be suggestive of that direction already. So that's kind of, I feel like that design kind of played its course, as cute as Scorebunny is. And then Grookey, I want to I like him, but there's something that's just slightly off about his design that isn't, I don't know, it's not doing it for me. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I agree. Um, but yeah, as, as a whole, I think Generation 8 is... It has some polarizing opinions, but I think it looks good. You know, it, yeah. it looks what I expected it to be. It's a Pokemon game. Um, I think the problem is people had their expectations for this to be like Pokemon, Pokemon of the Wild. They right. thought this would be a big uh, revolution and evolution for the series, but... Instead, it's it's just an iterative Pokemon game, which is kind of what it was always going to be. Yeah, I don't quite understand where, you know, all these 
disappointed thoughts are coming from where they were expecting this this crazy new uh, you know tradition destroying Pokemon open world game. That was never going to be the case. I mean, look at the series history and look at the Pokemon Company and Game Freak. They're known for iteration. Like that's that's what this series has always been about. That's that would be like me expecting a like Mega Man of the Wild for Mega Man Twelve. It's going to be <laughs> Mega Man Eleven, but with like new bosses and stuff, with like a new mechanic. That's fine. Like that's yeah. what it should be. They didn't even promise this either. I think they, they even said in an interview that they sh- people shouldn't expect this to be a giant jump. Um, yeah. And that this was it was just going to be an, be an iterative title. Um, but that to be that no. But that being said, though, um, I'm not saying like everyone's wrong for having high expectations. Sure. Of course, you sh- you should you should expect the best out of a franchise. Um, but I think the the thing with Pokemon is the the, the range um, of their demographic is so broad that they can't get too outlandish with their ideas. They have to kind of keep it basic. Yeah. Um, that that doesn't mean they can't add like a, a flexible camera or do some other kind of innovation. But um, I think they they have a good formula as it is, and if if it ain't broke, don't fix it. Yeah, I mean, it, as long as it feels you know a little a little more refined and, and it feels like it's a natural you know pardon the pun evolution from Gen Seven, it and and it doesn't feel anything like Let's Go in the sense that it felt like a Generation One title and so many of its UI issues. Then I'm going to be happy, you know, as long as it's it's a fast, fun, you know, polished Pokemon game. That's kind of what I expect from Gen Eight, and it's still exciting to have the first ever console dedicated mainline Pokemon adventure ever. Hmm. Yeah, that that is exciting. Um, you know, let's go kind of offered that, but you could feel the limitations. Like you could feel this wasn't from the ground up. Right. Exactly. Um, yeah. But, uh, but yeah, apart, apart from Sword and Shield, we also had two movie trailers. Exactly. Um, so we uh, we did discuss Detective Pikachu. I think it was just me, Andre, and, and uh, Derek, though. Right. So, um, what what are your opinions on the on the new trailer? You know, my my wife and I watched it a couple of nights ago, and we were we were a fan. I was kind of going in a little skeptical because the first trailer didn't quite sell me, and I got to say, after seeing the second one, I'm I want to go out and see this movie. Like, I'm not. Oh my god, I'm so hyped! Like, I wish it was coming out tomorrow. Excited, but. When it comes out, I'm not. I don't want to rest on my laurels. Like I want to go see this movie because it looks like it's going to be a lot of fun. Mm-hmm. And um, like they, they, the more I see of the realistic Pokemon designs, the more I am in. Like, yeah, I, I love all of these. They look so good. Yeah, and and in a way, it's almost kind of reminding me. Like the vibe of it is kind of reminding me of the first Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles movie, and that it's kind of darker and a little more aged up than I expected it to be. Like, if there's one line, I don't remember exactly, but there's one line where a character says, you know, hell, like, what the hell, or I'm, yeah, I gotta get the hell Pikachu. out of here. He goes, get me the hell okay. out of here. Yeah, okay, it's Pikachu <laughs> saying that. And I'm, and, and the soul, or my wife and I looked at each other and we're like, what the hell? They're aging this up so much more than, than I thought, or than we thought they would. And that's kind of like what I remember of the first Ninja Turtles movie being, you know, it's based on this kid-friendly cartoon, but the, but the first movie is actually pretty raw and kind of dark. Mm-hmm. I want to see the board meetings where they convince Pokemon Company to use like, to make Pikachu say Howl. Like, Pikachu of all the characters says Howl. <laughs> yeah, I, I'm actually shocked that the Pokemon Company allowed any of this because we know them to be incredibly restrictive in terms of how uh-huh. they allow Pokemon to be used. I mean, look at the original Super Mario Maker where they were like the, you know, out of all these different costumes that had their own sounds and poses and whatever... The, the three Pokemon were like the... Well, I think all the Pokemon actually didn't have any of their own sounds or cries. They just had the kind of basic Mario sound effect. And that was because the Pokemon company just didn't want to play ball. 
Right. And I remember at one of the E3s, I um I went to this post-E3 event, and uh, the Pokemon weren't even programmed into the game at that point. And when I asked why, um, the rep basically said, Pokemon Company are very hard to work with. Yeah. <laughs> as all he said. Um, so it seems like there was a point in Mario Maker where the Pokemon weren't even going to be in at all. Yeah. Which, I mean, I don't get why, but, and, and again, that, that just makes it even weirder that they were, have been allowed so much creative freedom for Detective Pikachu, in ter- especially in terms of aging the audience up. But, unfortunately, I can't say I have the same positive feelings about the Mewtwo Strikes Back Evolution trailer. I, uh, man, I love Mewtwo Strikes Back. Like, I saw that in theaters. Mm. I loved that movie. I'm not sure this 3D remake is really necessary. Yeah, that's that's the thing. Is it necessary? Yeah. It's... Yeah. I mean, I think the, the original still looks really good. Like, the, the anime style is is aged really well for that movie. Yeah. Um, and uh, I, I think it's it's cool that they're experimenting with a new visual style for the movies. Like, um, I think uh, the, the movies have kind of lost their mojo a little bit, where um, uh-huh. they, they've never quite reached the same heights as the, the first movie. So I think giving it a brand new style is kind of interesting, but remaking it, though, I'm not so behind that. Yeah, I mean, I will um, say the, the special effects for all like the, the Pokemon attacks and stuff, those look great, but Ash, Misty, and Brock and just the human characters in general look just weird and not at all like I feel they should. I've seen a lot of comments saying they look like robot chicken characters. I guess, yeah. <laughs> they kind of do. That's, yeah, that's not inaccurate. And uh, especially Brock. Like, Ash and Misty kind of sort of get away with it to a degree, but Brock looks really weird. Mm-hmm. Though um, they do add a lot of details to the Pokemon themselves. Yeah. Like if you zoom in, there's pictures of Pikachu from that movie, and if you zoom in, you can see individual strands of fur. Like it's not, it's not the same design as like Detective Pikachu, where that's realism. Right. But um, it's it's taking that the general anime design and giving them a bit more flair. Um, I have seen people say it looks like Jump Force as well. Not sure I agree with that. I think Jump Force yeah. just looks bad. Like, <laughs> yeah, me too. I don't see that comparison at all. I mean, mm-hmm. you know, I'll, I'll probably end up seeing Evolution just because I like the original so much and it'll be fun to contrast and compare. But in general, I don't have a lot of hype for it just because I don't really feel like there's much need for it. And, uh, and you know, even though the Pokemon do in general look a lot better than the human characters, I don't know. I just, you know, I'll see it just to compare, but I don't really have any hype for it necessarily. Mm-hmm. Yeah, agreed. Yeah. Though, uh, I do wonder if they're going to change anything. Because uh, apparently the writers that they have um, displayed for this movie, the writers aren't alive anymore. So the the, the writer they're crediting isn't currently living. <laughs> so it doesn't seem like they're changing anything. So it could just be a, one, a one-to-one remake. I kind of hope they don't, though. Because the the way the story kind of played out in, already is, is just it's very... Um, it's poignant. It's emotionally effective. It feels like a good Pokemon story. Like, I don't really think it needs to be changed. Yeah. Yeah, I agree. Yeah. Well, that about wraps it up for our news topics this week. And uh, unfortunately, there will be no game this week because there is just, you know, me and John doing the podcast. And we decided it wouldn't be very fun just to have one of us asking the other person questions with no competitive elements. So with Uh that said... I I do want to say, though, um, Andre's nearly done with his analysis, so he's going to be back on the podcast soon. Um... We're basically going to have more of us on here from from now on. So um, do keep sending game ideas, because we love them. We love doing games on this podcast. Oh, yeah. So if you have any ideas, uh, please suggest them in, in your in your follow-up for next week. 
Absolutely. Couldn't have said it better myself. And uh, with that, we're going to move on to our backer topics for the week. And remember, for just $1 a week, you can suggest topics like the ones we're about to answer and address, and you get exclusive access to our backer-exclusive... Exclusive. I've seen that so many times. To our backer-exclusive Patreon or uh, Discord channel. So... Uh, yeah, it's only for $1 a month you get all sorts of cool things, and uh, yeah, so with that said, uh, John, do you want to go first, or should I? Uh, I guess I can go first. All right. So, my question comes from Andrew Chung, who says, Hey guys, uh, this may be too early, but after what we're seeing from the previous Directs and the upcoming games, it's got me thinking, 2017 was a great year for gaming on every platform, with Nintendo Switch releasing that year, um, but I have a feeling that 2019 will do even better. If you look at it, we've got Kingdom Hearts 3, Devil May Cry 5, plenty of new, new Nintendo Switch exclusives, with both um, new Mario Maker and Zelda remakes, ports, indies, and plenty more. I'm also looking at my list, and there's games that I'm interested in, including two games I've never played before, Final Fantasy 7 and Resident Evil 4 on Switch. So what do you guys think? Do you think 2019 will beat out 2017 in gaming? If so, uh, when we reach New Year's Eve, I think you guys must do a top five games of the year once more. Uh, which we, we should we do pretty much every year. Yeah. Um, so he's got a great point. Actually, I, I, I'm going to get my tweet up a second because I did a, a big tweet of uh, upcoming 2019 games, and it is a there's there's some good stuff coming. This I year. saw that tweet, and yeah, there's when you put it all in one place like that, it's quite impressive. Yeah. So I do think 2019 could possibly beat out 2017. It is it's a high order because 20, 2017 was amazing with like Breath of the Wild and Odyssey and Splatoon 2 and right. Xenoblade 2. Um, but yeah, 2019, what I've got listed here is Pokemon Sword and Shield, Link's Awakening, Animal Crossing, Fire Emblem Three Houses, Luigi's Mansion 3, Yoshi's Crafted World, Super Mario Maker 2, Final Fantasy 7, 10, and 12, Resident <laughs> Evil 4, Resident Evil 0, Resident Evil Remake, Dragon Quest 11s, Dragon Quest Builders 2, Doom Eternal, Crash Team Racing, Windjammers 2, Astro- Astral Chain, um, the new uh, Hollow Knight, there's so much stuff coming this year. Yeah. And that's all Nintendo stuff I just listed. Um, there's, of course, more. Devil May Cry 5. Uh, there's there's so many games. Um, so, yeah, this this is definitely a packed year. And the, the big hitters, I think, for Switch are probably Mario Maker 2, Animal Crossing, Pokemon, Fire Emblem, and I guess Zelda as well. But those are those are big games. And they like Animal Crossing and Pokemon alone probably rival Breath of the Wild and Mario Odyssey in their, in their sales potential. Um, so yeah, I I think this is going to be a brilliant year. Whether yeah, yeah whether it can actually rival twenty seventeen though, because Odyssey and Breath of the Wild are some of the best games ever made. Yeah, um, yeah. I don't, I don't know where where do you land on this? I I kind of I pretty much agree with you. I think twenty nineteen has a has a really good shot at uh, outdoing or at least matching twenty seventeen. But I don't think it's necessarily guaranteed because as you said, twenty seventeen was mind bogglingly mind bogglingly good for games. And to outdo that is gonna take a really, really, really incredible lineup. And that's exactly what this is, but it does lean somewhat heavily on ports, um, as well as well as indie titles. And you know I love indie titles, but those aren't necessarily what draws the masses. I wish they would, because there's so many good ones, but I will say that that list does rely pretty heavily on ports and indies, but that doesn't mean that it's any less exciting of a list, and yeah, I think there's definitely a chance that uh, 2019 could outdo 2017, and you know, there are other games too, like The Last of Us Part Two. that's coming out sometime toward the end of this year, and that's exciting. Um, You know, you mentioned Final Fantasy X, but as part of that, we're also getting Final Fantasy X too, so we're getting so Mm. many classic Final Fantasies on Switch, which is really cool, and... 
yeah, I mean, there's just going to be so much to play. I will say, I have a funny feeling. Obviously, there's no question about how huge a series Fire Emblem is for Nintendo, but I have a weird feeling that three there's going to be some major backlash to Three Houses. I I don't know. I mean, I, I'm not a hardcore Fire Emblem fan, so I can't speak with any major authority here, but I watched, obviously, I watched the direct like everyone did and saw the trailer, and I just wasn't feeling it in the same way that I would feel other Fire Emblem games from a from a uh, casual standpoint. There's just something about it. I It's like the presentation's kind of off, the, the whole focus on the military academy's kind of weird. I just kind of feel like there might be some backlash against this game. Yeah, I think they, they spend too long on Fire Emblem. Um, I think they need like a really good rapid-fire trailer that shows you the best parts of the game. Yeah. Spending five minutes going over little details is is it's not going to turn on people who aren't already invested right um yeah I, I agree with you though i'm not i'm not the biggest fire emblem fan but i did play um awakening and um echoes and i love both of those um but uh, yeah with with awakening i think people were invested immediately uh mostly because of the change in style but also right. because the characters looked so likable and i'm not really seeing that with three houses i've not latched myself onto any characters yet yeah, like um, I, I know, I know a lot of people really soured on on Fire Emblem Fates compared to Awakening, but I, I have this feeling that people are going to look back at Fates and be like, "Well, at least it was still relatively within the the traditional Fire Emblem wheelhouse." Whereas I kind of feel like Three Houses, I don't, I don't know. I mean, it'll do well in sales. There's no doubt about that. But I do think there's going to be kind of a kind of an overall disappointment surrounding it. But I hope to be wrong. Hmm. And there's always the chance that Fates may have burned some people off as well. Yeah. Um, so I, I know that Fates sales were significantly less than Awakening. <clears throat> and also doing like three versions, I think, kind of put some people off. Uh, yeah. So I, I do wonder if they're going to be able to pick that up again and like reach Awakening's potential. Yeah, and I... Uh, yeah, I yeah, it's hard to say. And I would say that maybe one of the other issues with Fates is that it leaned even more so than Awakening. It leaned really heavily into the waifu husbando angle, and that really isn't for everyone. And uh-huh. and and not only that though, even for the people that it is for, though a lot of those people were complaining about, you know, Treehouse's localization compared to the original Japanese translation, which I kind of thought was silly given a lot of the examples, but either way, it didn't satisfy People, you know, everyone in both camps because you, know, you got the people who don't like that waifu husbando angle, not liking it at all, and then you've got the people who do, but they don't—they're not happy with the translation and the fact that you can't pet characters on the bottom screen. So, <laughs> you know, that that whole thing is kind of weird to me. But it it does seem like three houses might be kind of going for that that kind of you know life sim dating angle as well as kind of making the rest of it not quite in that traditional wheelhouse. So I don't know how it's going to land with people. Yeah, I'm not so sure either. Um, I have seen some people saying that they expect a, a big game to get delayed. Um, I, I, We said that last in 2017 as well, though. Yeah. Like we looked at 2017 and said they can't have Xenoblade, Zelda, Mario, and Splatoon launching in the same year. Something's going to get delayed, and it didn't. Um, so you know, I, I'm, I'm kind of going to like, bounce off that mindset and say they probably won't delay anything. Yeah. Um, yeah, I mean, um, if, if, and Mario Maker 2 is really exciting as well. Um, Andre asked me to capture some footage for part of his analysis, and uh, I had so much fun revisiting that game. Yeah. Um, and the, the possibilities that 2 offers just seem limitless. 
Yeah, I got to say, I agree. Like, I was always a big fan of Super Mario Maker, but I wasn't, for whatever reason, wasn't necessarily in any rush for another Mario Maker game to come to Switch. But now that it actually is, and now that we've seen the trailer for it, I'm really hyped for it because it was so fun just, you know, I like I made a few levels, but quickly realized I didn't have the time to make really good ones and really in-depth ones. But just having a li- literally endless supply of other people's levels, and, you know, once you find once you find and follow a few people who make good ones, you're pretty much set for, for good, you know, forever, as long as they keep making levels. You know, there's a lot of crap out there, no doubt. But, you know, I, I got to the point where I just looked on, uh, you know, looked on various internet uh, resources and found a few creators that were really consistently popular, followed them, and I had an amazing time playing really well-designed new levels for months and months. Uh-huh. And that's, that's something that too has to do really well, like... The search functionality in Mario Maker 1 sucked. Yeah, sure <laughs> you could, did. You had to like, do these long little coves to get a very specific um, level. You can't just search for creators. It's just so limited. It sucked, so, yeah. Uh, it, it did suck. So 2 needs to have a better... some Just have like some kind of search functionality in there. It, it, it sucked in the in the way that only a, Ninten- a Nintendo-designed online component could suck. It was just, it was absolutely mind-bogglingly just, it didn't make any sense. Like, why would they, when you have a game that is literally anchored around the online community, why do you make that community's level so incredibly hard to find? To say nothing of the 3DS version, which didn't even have that! <laughs> yeah, I know. <laughs> it's like, the Wii U version's already limited, and they thought, like, oh, here's the 3DS version, that's just... Butcher it even more. <laughs> like, you know, that, that had the potential to be a really cool, like, you can take, you can, you know, search the same giant bank of levels that uh, on the 3DS as you can on the Wii U, download them, and have some cool levels to play on the go. That could have been awesome. But instead, uh-huh. that isn't what happened at all. But I guess now that, that's going to be what we're getting with Mario Maker 2, given that the Switch is portable. Yeah, yeah, best of both worlds. So yeah, hopefully the the in-game search engine or tool is way better and more fully featured than in Mario Maker One. And uh, yeah, because I you know I don't want to have to go to the Super Mario Maker bookmark site to you know in a roundabout way add courses to my you know to my game basically to play. Uh huh. So um yeah, just just to round up the question though, uh, I do think uh, there's there's potential 2019 can beat out 2017. But also, we are only in the beginning of March right now. Like, it's March 1st yeah. <laughs> as, as we're recording this. Um, they still have a lot of time to announce more games. And knowing Nintendo, they will. Uh, what Nintendo usually do is they announce games a few months before they come out, and then they're ready to ship. Right. So there's probably a bunch of games launching this year that are nearly ready to go that we don't even know about yet. Right. Astral Chain is nearly finished. Yeah. We had no idea what that game was a few weeks ago. And it looks really good. I gotta say, like, Damon X Machina didn't really do it for me during its reveal, and it's still not really impressing me, but Astral Chain, from the get-go, that trailer has me interested. Mm Mm-hmm. I think I'm more excited for this than Bayonetta 3, honestly. I think I am, too. I mean, of course, I say that as a very casual Bayonetta fan, but yeah, I'm really just liking the overall vibe and, and just visual direction of Astral Chain. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's just something unique. Like, I'm sure Bayonetta 3 will be good, too, but this just looks so fresh. Right. Now, I will say that if this, if uh, you know, you were mentioning that Nintendo often has, you know, releases they'll just only announce a few months in advance or so. So, if one of those releases this year is Mother 3 at last, then 2019 beats out 2017 by default, just because it finally uh-huh. has Mother 3. Not that I'm expecting it, but... Uh, that oh, would be no. that. I mean, got it. How didn't that suck though? Because for for a couple of years though, t- toward the end of the Wii U's life, 
it felt like it was about to happen. Like the, the air was crackling with, you know, Mother 3 anticipation. It, you know, the, the rumors were lining up and then nothing came of them. Yeah, I feel like it was happening. Yeah. Um, we got both Earthbound and Earthbound Beginnings. And Earthbound Beginnings was the f- like the first time we've ever had that game localized officially. Right. Um, and it felt like they were building up to Mother 3. And of course, there were a bunch of rumors about it. So there's there was definitely smoke. So there's there's fire nearby, of course. Right. But, uh, yeah. But yeah, Mother 3 is a touchy one, though, because there's, there's points in that game which yeah. I don't think you can localize. It's, it's so... It's kind of ignorant to other cultures, or well, not just other cultures. It's just kind of ignorant in general. I don't think you can localize a lot of that game. It, it is tough um, because basically, what I feel like you're probably getting at is the Magipsies, which is which is yeah, what I've mentioned course. as well earlier. And there's really it's a damned if you do, damned if you don't situation because if they if they keep them true to how they are in the Japanese game, they're going to piss off you know the more conservative elements of Nintendo's fan base. And as you said, their characterization in general isn't exactly a you know a progressive characterization. On the other hand, if you if you dumb them down and you censor them, then you're going to rightfully piss off the the more liberal people in Nintendo's fan fandom. So I do feel like as much as I want Mother 3, I it is kind of a damned if you do, damned if you don't situation. And after all the crap Treehouse got for Fire Emblem Fates, like I can see why they might just not want to deal with it. Uh huh. And also with uh, Tamadochi Life, we had a lot of backlash. Um, right. They didn't do any. It was just straight relationships the entire time, and that game sold really well. But they haven't done. There's no been no hint of a sequel. Yeah. And I think that might just be because they don't want to deal with it. Yeah, and I, you know, I could, you know, as a, as a, I, you know, personally, I wish they would, and you know, I love having progressive content in games, but as a corporate entity who, you know, have to has to look at their bottom line, I do understand why they might just not want to approach that at all. Uh-huh. So, well, this is a great question. So, thank you, Andrew, and I guess I'll go ahead and move on to my question this week, which comes from uh, Bob Hood, who says, uh, "Hey guys, I was wondering if needing to rush through games for reviews has hurt has hurt the experience for you. Does it start to feel like work instead of just slowing down and enjoying the game like you maybe used to be able to do? How does this make you feel? Keep up the great work." So, thanks, Bob. This is a great question, and absolutely. Uh, there's no doubt that playing games for review is a completely different experience than playing through casually at your own pace, really taking a game in. Because sometimes you do have to just burn through a game in a matter of days, and sometimes those those games can be really long. And that 100% is not my preferred way to experience a game. Like, I felt really bad for Derek when he had to basically blast through Kingdom Hearts 3, a game that he'd been looking forward to for, well, we both had been looking forward to for, like, a decade. He had to blast through it in four days. Now, for his part, he said he didn't mind and was okay with it, but I know that if I had reviewed it, I would not have been happy to have to do that. And, you know, I've had to before, uh, not necessarily for huge release games like that, but I know uh, one game I reviewed last year, The Messenger, I was really excited about it, but then the, the codes came out so late that I basically had, like, two and a half days to finish it and then write and record the review, and that kind of sucked, I have to say. Um, but, you know, then there are other, uh, you know, other situations like Mega Man 11, where Capcom gave me, like, two weeks, a little more than two weeks, actually, and I had I got to take my time, and of course it's a short game anyway, so that was a really nice experience. But yeah, in general, I would say having to rush through a game for review is generally a negative thing, in my opinion. Mm-hmm. And there are moments where if we if we just don't have enough time, we just won't review the game. Um, 
with Dragon Quest XI, I think Derek had like a week with that, and uh, he was already busy with other stuff as well. Right. So we just ended up not reviewing it. Um, we, we still try and cover it as much as we can, but if we can't review a game, then like, if we don't feel like we, we're qualified to because we, not, we haven't spent enough time with it, we just generally won't do it. Um, and yeah, that's happened a few times. But yeah, generally speaking, it can be tough, uh, especially if you're invested in the franchise too. Right. Uh, like, let's say Nintendo gave us a brand new Zelda game, and they, they gave it to us two days before launch. Um, <laughs> I don't know how we'd handle that. Like, I think we'd probably delay delay our review, but on the other hand, we'll probably just try and get through as much as we can just because we know how big of a deal this is and how much we love Zelda. Um, but yeah, there's it can be tough sometimes, and sometimes you just have to go for it. But it is nice when companies give us more time. <laughs> yeah, well, and I think Andre can probably Sorry, speak to that Zelda experience uh, just because... You know, for him, Nintendo gave us basically a week to review both the Switch and Breath of the Wild. Only a week for a console review and the biggest, in terms of size, Zelda game ever. And he had a week for that. So, you know, if he was here, he could probably tell you exactly what having a couple of days to review a Zelda game is like. And, uh, yeah, I I know that wasn't necessarily a, a fantastically fun experience for him, but... You know, I will say that it behooves developers to give us, you know, a a decent amount of time for review turnarounds, too, because, you know, when you're developing and publishing a game, you decidedly don't want to just, you know, rush it out and give reviewers, like, three or two days to do it, because then they're rushing through this game that you've, you know, out of necessity, that you've meticulously crafted and, and lovingly put together over the last however many years, so... Really, I do wish more developers would get it together in terms of giving a nice review turnaround time because it helps them out too. Mm-hmm. And it's not like every game it only has like two days. No, before, absolutely uh, not. Before we get have to review it, like um, I remember uh, I think it was last year, it might have been the year before. Um, Nintendo gave me a copy of Dragon Quest Builders and they gave it to us just before Christmas, and the review wasn't until the end of January, so that's like an entire month of that game. Right. Um, and that's that's ideal for an RPG. Like, I'd love to have a month with all, with all RPGs, um, but yeah, that, that isn't always. It's not always the case. And I think because um, leak culture and social media are so um, bustling right now, yeah. they just don't want to risk spoilers getting out there or people leaking games. And it happens. It does happen. Um, there was a big scandal about like Mario and Luigi on 3DS a few years ago, where someone got a review <laughs> copy and they leaked it. Jeez, and yep. I think since then, Nintendo have just been very cagey about giving out review copies. Yeah, which um, it's hard to blame them. I mean, it really, because that does happen. And, you know, we just got a, we got a leak this week on uh, Mortal Kombat 11. Apparently the whole roster's already been leaked in advance of the game coming geez. out next next month. And it's, that stuff sucks. And so I do get it. I get on the other side where publishers want to minimize the the risk of that happening. So it is kind of a delicate situation. Um, I, I do agree with you, though. When you have... When you're given like a month to review like a big RPG, it's fantastic. That happened to me last year too with uh, East 8, Lacrimosa of Donna, where the Switch version came out in like June and they sent us the review copy in like early May. So I had like five (laughs) weeks to prepare this review, which is really nice because that also coincided with E3. So that was also its own lack, you know, our own source of, uh, you know, work and and stress. So to have five weeks to review East 8 was really nice. And that is by far the longest time I've ever had to review a game compared to something like, I don't know, Mega Man X Legacy Collection, which literally had eight ports of games that I had to play through to see how they 
were on Switch, and I had less than a week to do it. So, oh yeah, you you're insane with that. Like every single night, uh, every single morning, I'd wake up and it would just say Ash is playing Mega, Mega Man Legacy Collection. <laughs> God, um, you you played and finished every single game in those collections. Yeah, and it, it was nuts. and it was not a fun experience, which which sucked because you know, like any other Mega Man fan, I'd been waiting you know really forever for good ports of the, all the X games to come to Switch and modern platforms in general. So I was really excited about that, and then I had like five days to to review it all though, and that really sucked. Yeah, I, I do appreciate your dedication though, because you are familiar with every single game already, but you still took it upon yourself to finish all of them, which um, I don't think many reviewers would do if they already had the experience yeah just you know and i i almost i was tempted not to but i you know i ultimately and i i barely made it actually now that i think about it i may not have actually completely finished eight i think i played through the vast majority of it but you know my, my thinking is it's more than likely completely fine but what if there's a late game random maverick bug maverick i didn't mean to say that but random <laughs> bug that just happened to find its way into the end game of one of these games and that you wouldn't see unless you try to beat the game and i completely missed that you know so that's my thinking it's like i'm very paranoid when it comes to stuff like that but uh, yeah so now that i think about it i don't think i completely finished 8 but I got through the majority oh, of it. Easy game jump. I know, I know, right? <laughs> but uh, but yeah, no, I I've completely played everything else, and I uh, I've spent so much time in X Challenge, which was you know the the main source of new content in that game. So you know, I felt like that was more important to focus on that than completely finish every single game, or at least eight. Mm-hmm. So yeah. yeah. But uh, yeah, it, it's it's always nice when it's a short game too. Like yeah, <laughs> if they if you get like a nice eight hour long game, that's fine. Just a couple of sittings, it shouldn't be too tough. When it's a big RPG though, that's when we start to struggle. Right, exactly. So yeah, in general, not not the best thing to not the best way to experience a game when you don't have enough time to play it. But that's you know part of the, that's an occupational hazard I would say. And uh, you know otherwise we often get enough time to to experience the game as we otherwise normally would. So that's nice. Mm-hmm. But uh, yeah, so that does it for our Patreon topics this week. And uh, once again, as a reminder, if you just donate $1 a week to our Patreon, you can suggest topics like the ones we just discussed, as well as gain access to our patron-exclusive channel on our Discord. Uh, so yeah, if you want to do that, we'd super appreciate it and get some cool stuff to go along with it. And uh, with that said, we have reached the end of episode 135 of the Game Explain Real Talk podcast. So, as always, thank you guys so much for watching every week. It does mean so much, or listening every week. It does mean so much to us, and uh, we have the best fans in the world. So thank you guys so much, and we will see you next week for episode 136. Until then, guys, bye. Bye.